0: If you've been with us, you know that we're looking at, thinking about um, what it looks like to encounter, to engage, to be a part of the world in which we live in. Uh, We have looked at Jesus, uh, specifically his engagement of a Roman soldier. What does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, And how he sort of engaged and entered into that man's life, appreciating his presence, his gifts, his service to the community. We also looked at the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, A great faith is the way Jesus describes her, and yet someone who's an outsider. And this morning we're going to look at someone, a group, quite differently. Uh, It's a group of children, children that would be actually being brought to Jesus. And the question that we have to ask is this, how are we to engage them, to encounter them, to understand them, to think of them? All kinds of answers are given to that. Some view children as simply an economic commodity. That's not common especially in our culture anymore, um, most of us view them as an economic liability. Uh, there seems to be this transition to uh, seen but not heard to where everything uh, revolves around them. Their desires, their wants, their needs are, are really the only thing that matters. We said this, Jesus encounters, his encounters are unlike all the other encounters that we might uh, experience and look at. Why? He encounters His world like no other. He engages His world like no other. And if we are Christians, the way He does that should inform us. It should frame us. It should shape us. Look with me, and I will read from this really brief uh, story. This, it doesn't mean anything, but a really brief story from Mark chapter 10 this morning. Look with me and hear what Mark has to say. People were bringing little children to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter in it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Let's pray together. Father, once again we come to a story from the life of your son, and we need to be guided, informed, how are we to understand children, how are we to think of them, what place should they have in our lives, and even in our church in our congregation, we ask that you would be with us, guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Stories story is told of two little brothers who were always constantly in trouble, um, and their parents decided that the only thing that they could possibly do was to get uh, the new priest in town to actually talk to them. Uh, The priest agreed, and what he had set up was that he would talk to them one at a time, so he took the oldest first, Billy. And and when Billy came into his office, he sat down and the priest said this, Where's God? And Billy just sat there staring at the floor, and so the priest uh, upped his game a little bit, and he repeated it one time with a little bit louder voice, Where's God? Little boy Billy, he began to squirm in his chair a little bit, and so the priest asked him again finally and just... Just a shout, where's God? At that point, Billy jumped up and he ran out of the church and the office. And he ran down the street to his house and up the stairs where his brother was waiting on him to hear how this engagement went. And his brother asked him, what happened? And he said this, you're not going to believe this, but God is missing and they're trying to blame us. (laughs) This story, this little story from the life of Jesus is um, transformational is the best way to describe it. And it's very simple on the surface because what it's really saying is that we must bring children, our children, to Jesus just because of the reception that you see here in this little story. You see, how does Jesus receive them? It's not what you would commonly expect. What do I mean by that? It's common for us and for them to take their view of children from their culture. We're always being influenced, and, and the problem is imperceptible. All you have to do is contrast the attitudes toward children prevalent, actually, in the first century. There was a letter on June the 17th in 1 B.C. in Alexandria from a husband where he writes this, If it is a male child, let him live. If it is a female, cast it out. Children were seen in the first century really as a commodity. And it's not said because it's sort of the undercurrent of the story why the disciples would want to interfere with this. It's really actually unimportant as to why. What it does show is that there was just an abuse of authority, of their position, of their power. And we see Jesus' response, His commands, do not forbid. And actually what it says is in verse 14, when Jesus saw this, He was indignant. This is the only time, actually, in the Bible where Jesus is said to be indignant. I can think of a lot of other substitutes for this. Repugnant would actually be a better word to describe this. What is interesting in verse 13 is that neither the parents nor the children were anything special. The disciples actually rebuked them thinking that they're doing a good thing. Uh, They think probably, most likely, we can just imagine that they're protecting Jesus. Protecting His time, protecting... uh, His energy, uh, he would have been exhausted. It was well-intentioned behavior. And yet Jesus responds by saying, this welcome, this bringing, has the highest priority. Nothing should stand in its way. The story goes on to describe this as a full embrace from Jesus. He's not just giving them directions or instructions. Instead, what you see in the story is, is his tenderness. Um, his incredible care. Um, one writer said, this just describes his gentleness here. One of the things I really hate the most about the Internet, um, uh, there's lots of them, but this one probably rises to the top, are, are the pop-ups that I can't seem to get rid of. Yes, I know I've turned on the blocker and everything, but there's some, for some unexplainable reason, that have figured out how to get around that. And it drives me insane. It always is annoying and it always keeps me from my target. And by the way, I never click on them. I don't want whatever they're selling, never. I've never saw one that I thought, hey, look, an opportunity. I just don't do that. Um, here's the question. Do we do everything possible to bring our children, to get them into Jesus' presence? Or do, or do we hinder them? See, what are the pop-ups that sort of get in the way? You wondered how that was going to play in this. What are the things that, that really annoy them, that actually distract them from Jesus? I'll tell you what they are. Their moralism would be the first. It reduces Christianity to a code of conduct. Actually, that's all that it focuses on. A certain religiousness or their reputation or our reputations. We know this. Firstborns and only children may think, I only count in life if I'm perfect, if I win, if I dominate. Middle children think, I only count when I avoid conflict. Youngest children think, I only count when I'm getting attention. I have four, so I don't know how that plays into that. The fourth is probably a mixture of all of us. The truth is, every one of those is a lie. They all confuse the gospel, and none of them is really about Jesus at all. For some of us, it's our own business. For others, we're too busy with activities and entertainment. Busy with many things, but not the main thing. We flood our lives, we know this. Uh, with everything from sports to school to social enge- engagement see where is jesus known where is he going to be found where is his presence going to be seen well, historically we've said well the means of grace is where we do this we need the bible because it reveals jesus and my need for him not you cram the bible in and sort of get the behavior out that i want prayer sacraments those occur in community Our vast resources and relative freedom provide us countless opportunities to do wonderful things that hinder us from actually being present in and with and among God's people. This is a shocker, but in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, God only revealed himself in community in that particular context. If you're a Christian this morning, are you willing to do anything to welcome them? Martin Luther, you have to love Luther. Uh, He says this, People who do not like children like swine, dunces, and blockheads. They're not worthy to be called men and women because they despise the blessing of God, the creator and author of marriage. Just not only the reception in this story, but what do they receive? Uh, The writer says this, And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. What does that mean? I will tell you this, it means far more than what we mean today. We say blessing, some of us at meals, or state something like this God bless you when somebody sneezes. What this is not is not that. It's not a religious ditty, uh, is the best description I can give it. Jesus here, he's the king, the lord of the covenant, and he never gives out religious ditties. What he's also not stating in this passage, by the way, is that the childlike are in the kingdom. That's actually the next verse, not this one. But what is he actually driving at here? When Jesus says that to such as these belong the kingdom of God. One writer said this, the best way to understand that to this class or this kind. It's not stressing quality, but the place that children have in Jesus' ministry. So what is going on here? The smallest children, by the way, is what the writer describes this. Children small enough to actually be taken into his arms. The idea that they would be brought not on their own accord, but someone else would bring them. This idea of blessing really envelops everything that the Old Testament is about up to this point in time. It would have included all that Jesus has to offer. That's what he gives. And Jesus states this simply that they belong. The kingdom belongs to them. Not to people that are like them, but to actually to them. They are in the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to little children and that they're members of it. Forty years ago, there was a congregation in Philadelphia that watched as three nine-year-olds were baptized and joined the church. Not long after that, unable to continue because of dwindling membership, the church was sold. Uh, The building was dismantled. One of the boys was Tony Campolo, author and Christian psychologist at Eastern College in Pennsylvania. He remembers this. Years later, when I was doing research in the archives of our denomination, I decided to look up the church report for the year of my baptism. There was my name. And one of the guys that was with me, Dix White, he's now a missionary. Bert Newman was the other one. He's now a professor of theology at an African seminary. He said my name was there, too. Then I read the report, the church report from that year, and this is what it said. It's not been a good year for our church at all. We have lost 27 members, three joined, and they were only children. Martin Luther says this, "Um, When I preach, I regard neither doctors nor magistrates, of whom I have above 40 in my congregation. I have all my eyes on the servants, maids, and on the children. And if the learned men are not well pleased with what they hear, well, the door is open. That's the way he described. it. Um, What you find in this story is there's not anything in them. I want you to notice that. They don't possess any qualities except for Jesus wants them and that God's grace is available. He wills it and He gives it to them. What this shows is there really are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. These children, they belong to the fellowship of the saints. There's nothing that happens to them later that hasn't already happened to them. All of us here this morning, we sort of structure our priorities in life around what's important. That there's something more strategic, more significant in life and certainly in the life of the church than children. It's not just what uh, they receive. It's also what they reflect. Look at verse 15 again. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter in it. There's something about children that teaches us about the kingdom, about what it means to know Jesus that we wouldn't know without them. I'm just going to tell you what it's not. Uh, It's not that they're innocent and that they're humble. Because children, if you know any, have neither of those attributes. Um, These children, they needed Jesus. That's what really lies at the heart of this. What we see in this story is sheer receptivity is the best way I can describe it. Luke uses the word infant. That is the smallest of children. All that an infant can do is receive. They have nothing to bring and everything to receive. They can merit. The idea that a small infant can merit anything is absurd. What's also interesting is that children can't make demands. They are the individual without status is the best description. The kingdom belongs not just to them but to those like them. What does that mean? Those without status, without no apparent importance. So for the majority of us, since we've dismissed the kids, what does that mean for us? The older we get, the less obvious that we have is a sense of total need, and what we have is a growing sense of self-sufficiency. When a person believes that they have a status, a right to be heard and received, they become less childlike, is the best description I can make. We've talked about the rich ruler before. The, the very implication is comes right after 15. He couldn't do anything is the problem. What must I do to inherit? That was the issue. Nothing. You can do zero to get there. The problem is children have a way of disrupting our plans, killing our control. We want to earn what we get. We don't want charity. The reality is children love gifts. And that's exactly the point. In a newsletter, a, a consultant, Ken Blanchard, retells the story of a girl named Shia. She was four years old when her baby brother was born. She kept asking for to leave to be left alone with the new baby. Well, they worried, uh, like, more, like most four-year-olds, she would want to uh, hit or shake um, or other things to, to this new intruder into the house. So they kept saying no over time though they noticed she wasn't really showing any signs of aggression <laughs> or jealousy, uh, and they changed their minds about this, and they decided that they would let her be alone with the baby, but that they would leave the door cracked uh, so that they could watch and listen. What they saw, is she walked quietly up and put her face really close to the baby and said this, Tell me what God feels like I'm starting to forget. See, have you grown so old this morning that you've forgotten? It's not too late, actually, according to this story. The one who created you longs to lavish you with his love and his mercy. The only thing is this. He taught to experience that, to know that, to feel that warmth and that embrace, means that you have to come with nothing. And then there's the rub. Would you come this morning? Or instead, would you rather Jesus just shout directions at you, instructions, without ever feeling that embrace? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love and mercy that you call on us this morning to really come with nothing. All of us here struggle with that very idea. We want to bring all that we have to offer before you, our very best. And yet what you tell us is that only those who are like children will know and experience you. Only those who come ready to receive, ready to delight in your gifts will know them. In your kingdom, the humble are in, the prideful are out, the weak get to know you, the strong miss you. May that be true. May we find you this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.